Hi, I'm Alicia Lockhart. And I'm LaDonna Humphrey. Welcome to Deep Dark Secrets, a podcast that shines a light in some very dark places. And today we'll be shining that light on a vicious death fetish predator. His name, David Parker Ray, a mechanic and a state park ranger, also known as the Toy Box Killer. The horrors surrounding David Parker Ray slowly began to unravel after he kidnapped a 22-year-old woman named Cynthia Vigil on March 19, 1999. Cynthia was a sex worker, and she was picked up in a parking lot in Albuquerque, New Mexico, by a man who was pretending to be an undercover cop. So this man told Cynthia that she was under arrest for soliciting sex work. And he placed her in the backseat of his car. This man was not a real cop. He was not an undercover cop. He was pretending to be one. And spoiler alert, it was really David Parker Ray. So David Parker Ray, he drives Cynthia to a soundproof cargo trailer that he had dubbed his quote unquote toy box. That's what he was calling this cargo trailer that he had soundproofed. And I'm sure you can imagine what might happen from there. Oh, it's terrible. Because once inside, Ray chained Cynthia to a table inside the trailer. And for the next three days, he, along with his girlfriend, Cindy, her name was actually Cindy Hindi. I don't know why I find <laughs> that humorous, but I do. Tortured and raped the frightened 22-year-old. I mean, it's just awful, that poor, poor girl. But before the torture sessions would begin, Ray would play this cassette tape with a detailed recording of the horrific horrors that she could expect to endure. And he did this to elicit fear in his victim. In the recording, he also warned her that she was to refer to him only as master and that she could only refer to Cindy as mistress and that she was never, ever allowed to speak unless spoken to first. I just think it's creepy that he made this recording to play for his victims. I can't imagine the shock you would feel knowing that you've been kidnapped. These horrible things are happening to you, but he's going to play a recording for you to listen to that you have to pay attention to before he actually continues to torture you because he wants you to know exactly what he's going to do to you. That's the stuff of nightmares, Alicia. This reminds me of the movie Saw. You know how the people wake up and they've been drugged or they've been knocked out. They wake up and there's like a TV in the room and they have to watch it. That is some scary shit. It's and frightening. If you wake up or you get pushed into this room and then you have a recording you need to listen to or to watch with instructions, basically you're going to be like, this is it for me because this person has clearly done this a million times. They're all prepared for it. Well, I have a very combative personality, and I think upon hearing the recording, I would have already just decided I was not going to refer to them as master and mistress, and I just <laughs> wouldn't have followed the rules because, I mean, they brought me there clearly to kill me, so fight me to the end, bitches. Fight me to the end. That would be my stance, but I don't know. Maybe I would feel differently if I was locked in a room. It's hard to say what you would do in that situation. I think a lot of people might think that if they're compliant, that they'll have more opportunity to escape. 
There's people who have gotten their abductor to fall in love with them. You know, some people do get out by fawning for a long amount of time. But then there's other situations where like you have to fight tooth and nail because there's no way you'll ever get out. And it's really hard to judge that in the moment. It truly is. But that reminds me a little bit of what we did in our initial investigation when I was undercover and convinced Carl Coleman to fall in love with me. Yeah, you can get some really good information by being sweet and compliant at times. It's just my personality is one to be a little bit pissed off that I'd have been kidnapped. It would be hard for me to be compliant, but hopefully I won't ever have to worry about that scenario. But anyway, diving back in. Once the recording ended, Cynthia was then brutalized with whips along with medical and sexual instruments. She was raped again. She was beaten. And Ray used electric shocks to torture her. I mean, it's, it's really awful. And on the third day of enduring all of this and just feeling hopeless, when Ray left for work, because he was still going about his daily life, you know, he had to work, he was paying bills, whatever he had to do. He left Cynthia alone with his girlfriend, Cindy. And Cindy accidentally left the keys to Cynthia's restraints just within reach. So she managed to grab the keys. She freed her hands. She stabbed Cindy and she took off naked, running out of that trailer to save her life. This is giving me flashbacks because I actually remember watching a video project about this case when I was quite a bit younger. You know, way back then, I had no idea what death fetish was. But now when I look at this case, it's so clear to me that this was a death fetish predator who is also a serial killer as well. But it's a video of Cynthia speaking about her experience. And she's talking about that moment when she escapes from the toy box. What a brilliant moment for her to just run and be able to free herself. How lucky is she? that Cindy made that sort of a mistake. Exactly. I mean, it was like the stars aligned and she was able to do what she needed to do to save her own life. So that says a lot to her because she had been enduring all these horrible things, but she was still doing everything that she can and being alert so that she would have the possibility to get away if she could. And I'm glad that she did. That's a powerful woman to go through three days of that and say, no, I'm still going to be aware. I'm going to be looking for any out. And I'm so thankful that she got that. And she was able to just run out of that trailer. I'm sure she didn't even care at that point that she was naked. You think about moments like that. I'm sure looking back, she's like, oh, my gosh. But in the moment, I'm sure it didn't even cross her mind. She needed to go. And so it didn't matter if she was naked or not. She had to get out of there. She was still wearing a slave collar and she had some padlock chains on her body, but she was going for it. She just ran for her life and she went to the home of a nearby neighbor and that neighbor was able to call the police for her. Before David and Cindy were arrested for kidnapping, Cynthia recounts some of the experience that she had survived, which was just a total nightmare. She says, he told me that I was never going to see my family again. He told me that he would kill me like the others. Based on Cynthia's testimony, the authorities were able to obtain a warrant very quickly 
And they went ahead and searched David's property. And what the investigators found inside was just the stuff of nightmares. That toy box, as he referred to it, was full of whips, chains, pulleys, straps, clamps. He had leg spreader bars. He had surgical blades. He had a collection of saws. And of course, sex toys intermingled with all of these things. That's creepy and very, very scary. Of course, he had a leg spreader bar. Of course, he had a bunch of clamps and saws amongst his dildos. He even had a table, like a gynecologist's table, with a mirror mounted to the ceiling. He had done this because he wanted his victims to see everything that he was doing to them which is just a whole nother level of messed up. Law enforcement also discovered that there was a large wooden contraption. They believed that he was using that to immobilize victims while he raped and tortured them. And the walls themselves were covered with diagrams that had details explaining different methods for inflicting pain upon other people. The toy box is just designed for him to harm people and experiment on them. That's so depraved. This guy was really, really sick. He really was. And if I could even say so, I might label this as the most disturbing discovery. Law enforcement did find a videotape. And when they watched it, it shows a hysterical woman being tortured and raped by David and his girlfriend. And the videotape has a label on it, and it, it just says 1996, the year that's three years before Cynthia's abduction, rape, and torture. So this clues law enforcement into what we already heavily suspected, which is that there are other victims. This has been going on for a long time, and this toy box is really a murder unit. The toy box murder unit. I mean, that's what it feels like for sure. He's making videos of himself abducting, raping, and torturing women. I just can't imagine it going any other way. Law enforcement also discovered inside the toy box that there was some evidence to suggest that David liked to drug his victims so that they couldn't remember what had even happened to them if they were surviving through the rape and torture sessions. I'm going to be honest here, Alicia, and I thought a lot about what happened to you and Carl Coleman when I found out that David was drugging his victims. And it just hammered home again for me the fact that you were so lucky to be alive and that you survived what happened to you. I agree. I am thankful for that every single day. I feel very fortunate to be alive. And I'm I'm thankful that I've processed that situation enough that when I when I research cases like this and I hear about other women who went through it, it doesn't re-trigger me. It actually makes me feel very passionate. I just want to make sure that I'm doing everything I can to try to help other people not have that experience. And I think that it's so important to talk about men like this who are all over the world, in the U.S. and in these online communities that we've discovered. These men will not hesitate to 
drug a woman and do whatever they want with her because they're cowards and they can't get a woman to comply with them under normal circumstances. Exactly. And there are men that live to torture women. I think that that's also a cautionary tale to people who are listening to this podcast. We live in a world we have to teach our daughters how to protect themselves and what to look for if at all possible, and not to just trust men very easily. And that's hard to say that. But there are so many people like this that roam the countryside just looking for a victim. And it's it's really very scary. With this story in particular, and we've done another one recently too, where it was a man and his partner torturing or filming people. It makes me a little paranoid because our research shows us that it is mostly men that are in the death fetish communities. But we do see there are women that are willing to um, go along with some of these plans. I think you just have to be very careful with trusting anybody that you don't know very well. I completely agree. But I think the rest of the story is really going to be frightening. Not that what we've already described isn't frightening enough, but the horror did not stop there. Not only did law enforcement find the videotape that was labeled 1996, they also found dozens and dozens and dozens of other videotapes that had horrific acts of rape and abuse and torture on them. And this was very disturbing to law enforcement. Of course, they'd not encountered anything like this before. So they went to the media and and shared the information because they wanted to be able to find if there were any other victims that would come forward find out if any of these women had been murdered. And so once the media picked up the story of David's arrest and what had been happening inside the toy box, another woman did come forward with a similar story. And her name was Angelica Montano. And she described how she went to David's house. He had befriended her. And she went to his house in order to borrow a cake mix. And once inside, he offered her a drink and she accepted. And he drugged her. Once that she was drugged, he raped and brutally tortured her. It was a horrible, horrible thing. And when he was finished abusing her, he loaded her up in his truck, his vehicle, and he drove her to a roadside in the desert where he dumped her and he left her to die. It seems so brazen to me to just drug somebody and dump them off on the side of the road thinking that they'll never remember it. Like that part infuriates me. Yeah, and I think that he hoped that she would just die. I think that was his plan. But fortunately, she was found. It was police that actually drove that road and found her. They rescued her. But really, after that, there was very little follow-up to her case. Nothing happened. David had simply just gotten away with the horrible crimes against this woman. So once she came forward and is able to identify David, investigators start to focus on his girlfriend, because they think that Cindy has more information about David and some of his crimes. And they also know she had been participating. So they put a lot of pressure on Cindy to tell them everything that she knew about him. And she broke. I mean, she sang like a bird because she was scared. And I think there was some guilt and remorse. And she told them everything she could. And her testimony actually led police to find other accomplices of David's that had assisted him during multiple kidnappings and rapes. And one of those accomplices was David's own daughter. 
Her name was Glenda Jesse Ray. Another accomplice that they found was one of his best friends, Dennis Roy Yancey. It just blows my mind that he involved his best friend and his daughter. Whole family affair. It is. It's just sick. It's sick, sick, sick and twisted. Cindy also told police that at least some of those rapes and torture sessions ended in murder. She confirmed it. And so police acted really quickly. They picked up Dennis Yancey, got him in a room, and they interviewed him. And in that interview, he admitted to participating in the brutal abduction, torture, and murder of a young woman named Marie Parker. Yancey admitted that Parker had been drugged as part of this torture session with David. And eventually, Dennis strangled Marie Parker to death. My heart sank when I heard this. I mean, these poor women that were brutalized by multiple people prior to their murder or prior to their escape, I just can't imagine the terror that they felt. It's just, it's a horrific story. And I always think every week when we tell a death fetish predator story that it can't get any worse, but by God, it gets worse. The idea of multiple people coming together and all of them just feeling that this is fine. It's so hard for me to wrap my head around that when we talk about what Dennis Yancey had to say about that experience with Marie Parker. It sounds so similar to what Cynthia escaped from. That's where that was headed had she not been able to escape. Yeah, absolutely. So the police did uncover some really chilling evidence that implicated David in numerous murders. So there were detailed journals that became evidence, all written by David himself, which were him describing in great detail the horrific deaths of multiple women. Ralph, sorry, this is giving me Carl Coleman vibes. He's obsessed. He's fantasizing about it. He's abducting women. He's filming himself with them. He's writing about it. He probably thought he was an artist. Something. And just a side note, for those of you that don't know who Carl Coleman is, you might pick up a copy of our book Strangled or go to previous episodes where we detail out our undercover investigation into the death fetish community. Carl Coleman is the uh, alias that we have to use for the man that I had a really scary experience with. And we do that to legally protect ourselves from him retaliating. Exactly. So jumping back in, they find these journals that David had written. It's hard not to wonder if they were erotic stories. It sounds like he was pretty into the things he was doing. They also find hundreds of pieces of jewelry, clothing, and just other personal effects of women. So there's a bunch of these items that the FBI believe that David had been keeping basically as trophies from the victims. It's believed that David's crime spree spanned from the mid-1950s all the way into the late 1990s. And he was able to get away with this for so long due to the fact that he was murdering most of his victims and that the very few who had survived were drugged. So it just wasn't likely that anyone who did survive was even going to remember what had happened to them. So it's pretty scary when you think about how many women this could have impacted. If you were in that area between 1950 and the 90s, 
and you have a weird day where you just woke up somewhere and you don't know how you got there, that's scary because this man was in the area and he was drugging women and taking them to that toy box and filming them. This is the stuff of nightmares. It doesn't get much worse than this because he goes all the way. It's not just the filming. He goes on and murders people and he did it for so many years. The FBI believe that David killed over 60 women. That's mind-boggling to me and it just goes back to show how dangerous these death fetish predators really are. They really are and they of course charged him for as much as they could prove. They were able to give him a sentence of 224 years so they effectively took him off the streets for the rest of his life. Unfortunately, David did not live very long in prison. He didn't have to serve much of that time because he died of a heart attack on May 28, 2002, which was really quite close to when his life sentence began. He wasn't there for long. That seems really unfair. That's a shame that he died before he paid for his crimes because he destroyed so many lives. When I was researching the story to write this episode, I found Three more incredibly disturbing facts about David that I wanted to be sure to include. Just to hammer home to our listeners about how dangerous David and death fetish predators can be. So you remember that recording that he played for his victims right before he would continue to rape and torture them right after the abduction? Mm -hmm. That recording, well, and one aside about this too, is that trailer also kind of reminds me of the shed that we read a lot about on the death fetish forums. That's the place where so many fetishers in the death fantasy forums want to take their victims and they actually threaten to take us there. So when I'm writing this episode and I'm reading about the toy box trailer, Alicia, I kept picturing the shed that Carl Coleman wants to put us in. And so that was a little disturbing to me. Both of us have gotten text messages from untraceable or burner phones that tell us what they're going to do when they get us in the shed. I think there are a lot of death fetishers who have a space like that in the basement, um, you know, a torture chamber, a shed, a trailer. They've all got their little secret place to do these things to women. It's terrible. But I digress thinking about the shed and I'll jump back in. So that recording, remember? In that recording, David boasted that he had been, quote unquote, raping and torturing bitches since he was a teenager, a teenager. I want to know when he made that recording, where in the line of 60 murders did he decide that he should probably make a recording to let the women know how good he was at raping bitches and what was going to happen to them? It just makes me wonder why. Why did he do that? Obviously, he wanted to make the women scared, but was he tired of women asking, why am I here? What are you going to do to me? Who are you? He just didn't want to explain anymore. I've wondered the same thing, too. I think he was probably just tired of explaining himself. And that seemed like the quickest way. And I'm sure that he got off on the fact that he had this recording that scared people so much. I mean, that takes it to a whole new level of batshit crazy, scary. So anyway, I also discovered in my investigation into David that he would often tell his first wife that he had kidnapped, tortured, and murdered a woman as far back as 1957. And he said that happened when he was 17 years old. 
I believe him. I believe he probably did that, that he had been a predator his whole entire life. I also discovered that David's daughter told the FBI that her father was abducting and torturing women before selling some of them over the border into Mexico. So I think human trafficking was a very real possibility in this case. And it's something that we have suspected in the death fetish forums for a long time. And I think that this gives some credence to that. That's like the perfect crime for a death fetish predator to just do what they want in their little shed and then sell that person off to another country so that nobody can find out what they've been doing. David Parker Ray was the ultimate bad guy. Just terrible, terrible. I'm still just sitting here thinking about the sheer amount of women who had to endure that toy box. Every person that I see in those death fetish forums, I'm worried that they are a David Parker Ray in the making. It scares me. I honestly believe, Alicia, that there are tons of David Parker Rays that just haven't been caught yet. I think you're right. I think that they do exist out there and it's frightening. And I think that if they have a place like the death fetish forums and communities online where they're low-key bragging about what they're doing, that's an opportunity for us to discover who they are and where they are. And I think that we need to pay attention to those death fetish forums because some of the men who are writing very specific things could be just telling what they're doing. It could be their journal to post an erotic story in there. Some of them, you look at it and you're like, oh, that doesn't really seem real. But some of them are very, very specific to a point where you feel like that person wouldn't know those details without harming somebody. They wouldn't know what area to touch in their body or what sound would come out. Or I just feel like there are David Parker Rays in the death fetish community, and I can't be convinced otherwise. And I know you feel that way too, but I think that this is something that people should realize, that there are unspeakable evils being committed by death fetish predators like him, and that in this day and age, it would be foolish for us to assume that they weren't on the internet. Exactly. They're congregating together in gated communities online glorifying the the murder of young women. There's no doubt in my mind. I can't know that and not try to do something about it. So I feel like we say it a lot, but that's why we're here. We want to make a difference and we want to make sure that guys like this aren't getting away with crimes like these for 40, 50 years. There's so much that could be done about it. And I think we have to find creative ways to uh, take care of that. But I do think that this is a good place for us to wrap up for today. I'm not going to lie. We definitely want to talk more about David Parker Ray, and we may find a way to do another episode, maybe concerning some of the unnamed victims or the human trafficking angle of the case. So stay tuned for that potential. Thank you so much for tuning in today. And we do hope that you'll continue to join us every Monday as we talk about the dangerous world of death fetish predators. Stay safe, everyone. And remember, keep your lights on. For exclusive content from this episode and all other episodes, head on over to our Patreon, patreon.com backslash deep dark secrets. 
Sign up and you'll be able to see some visuals that accompany each episode.